This is an eavesdropping conversation. I'm Juliet Fraser, and today I'm talking to Megan Steinberg. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Juliet. Thanks for having me. Really nice to be speaking to you. Thanks for joining me. Um, my first question for you, I, I read somewhere that you said you fell into experimental music. I, I really love the way you put that. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about where you had come from musically and how that happened, how you fell into experimental music? Yeah, it happened in my undergraduate degree, in which I studied composition at Brunel University. And I kind of, I cite that as because it was very contemporary and experimental course. And I didn't really know that going in, but mm. I wouldn't be the musician that I am today if I hadn't attended that course at that university. And when I was at school, really the way that composition was framed was, oh, if you want to make money being a composer, if you want a career as a composer, you go into film. And that was it. So I went into university kind of that mindset and also playing jazz guitar. Mm. And I really enjoyed improvising uh, even like from quite an early age. Mm. That was one of my favorite parts of playing. So I got to university and I think just the overwhelming realization that you're not as good as other people at your instrument can be quite a lot and I really feel the young people who study at high-end like conservatoires and mm. high universities where the competition level is so high because I felt that at a fairly small university I was realizing like I don't think I care about this enough to compete with other people especially when the other people I was competing with were just white men who tended to be a lot older than me yeah uh and I didn't I just fell out of love with playing the guitar but at the same time while I was there I started discovering experimental music and there's something so accessible about experimental music I don't think we talk about enough because it's so DIY and uh, you know, there's often sense of humour in experimental music mm. that there isn't in other music and performance art. And you really can just like pick up objects and make noise and explore space and timbre and anybody can do it. Mm. And I think that's what I discovered there was I don't have to be amazing at my instrument technically to get a feel for this. Yeah, so I really did fall into experimental <laughs> music. I think you're right that the the fun side or the um in fact the inclusive side of it, the sort of community making element of it is is perhaps not talked about all that often. But similarly I think uh that's one of the things that has attracted me to experimental music. Um, so you perform as a turntablist. Can you describe your turntable and how it works for listeners that might not be familiar with that yes I can certainly try I <laughs> will footnote it by saying that I'm no way an expert I'm not an engineer I don't know how to build a turntable for example but yeah. I can definitely explain 
my perspective is that it's an analog turntable uh, belt driven, which means that you can scratch it basically. It's not like a normal record player that you just let spin. It's got a circle mechanism so you can scratch mm. uh, and it won't harm any of the mechanisms in it. And it's not digital. So I don't DJ. In fact, I've, I've very much considered adding to my biography. I'm not a DJ mm. <laughs> because um, I don't know how to DJ. It's just not a skill set that I have. And very often people see a turntable and assume that that's what you're doing. But there's very exciting scenes all around the world, of people using turntables in abstract experimental ways. And I love it. Yeah. So it really is. I approach it as an instrument, as if it were an acoustic instrument. It's mm. just a single turntable with records of different kinds and a needle, which is basically a microphone, a very, very tiny microphone that runs across the surface of the vinyl as it spins around and picks up the vibrations that have been imprinted to play the sound out again. It's very basic, uh, very old invention yeah. um, by Thomas Edison at the turn of the 19th century. And so I make abstract sounds using those sounds mm. on those surfaces and then I will do other things like live mixing and effects and looping and also using different materials like tape or paper um, and I do some scratching as well which is a lot of fun and I, I'm <laughs> I in no way would say that I'm an expert scratcher I watch like hip-hop artists and yeah. I'm in absolute awe but it is like a lot of fun so well you've just touched on the fun there um and I suppose mm. the um the variety of possibilities is that what excites you about the instrument kind of and also completely the opposite is it really only does mm. certain things <laughs> it's quite limited in what it is uh, but it has been fun really fun exploring it and getting it to make different sounds yeah uh, I think I just, I use found audio, which means using existing sounds that somebody else has created yeah. and make something completely different. And very often you can't tell what I'm playing with, that like you can't really tell what the record is that I'm playing at the time. Uh, but sometimes I kind of let it, <laughs> sneaking like the original sneaking a bit <laughs> we do a lot with a, a Billy Idol record um and that's great it has so much sound and there's so much surface noise and I do a lot of manipulation and then it's really fun at like right at the end of this like a half an hour set to just let it revert back to the original and let the audience hear that actually what I was doing was was playing with this pop song <laughs> that's really fun mm. but yeah I love uh, thinking about vinyls as a, a physical sound object to do something with and I don't really I'm not technologically advanced enough to be able to do some of the incredible things that other turntable artists are doing the people who mostly inspired me to get into it are an artist in New York called Maria Chavez oh yes She's also, she's the abstract turntablist in my mind and her approach and her book um, to turntables is what most inspires me. And I think 
if you listen to Maria's work, you'll definitely hear her influence mm. on mine. But she is uh, a DJ as well, and a completely different approach to the instrument. But she's also her, and along with uh, turntablists like Philip Jack and Graham Dunning, who have a more of an inner knowledge of the technology, and they like build amazing things and they basically just have this one thing that spins around and a tiny microphone <laughs> and that's it and what I can put through that microphone really is flat discs it's very yeah it's, it's very exciting to be presented with um limited yes material and techniques yeah yeah oh it's so interesting um You've touched on the DIYness of experimental music. I know that you advocate publicly for equality and inclusion in new and classical music. I'm interested to know what do you feel are the main obstacles that that hold us back? Mm. <laughs> That's a really big question. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's such an unoriginal answer I think it's money I think that access to funding for projects is so tight uh, and held by such few Mm. but large and powerful organizations and there's like just reliable what what some organizations see as being reliable sources of income yeah selling tickets for Mozart Beethoven uh, and Philip Glass and Steve Reich their excuses well that's you know we do that so that we can get the money to do the other things and then you're kind of just constantly sitting around waiting for them to do the other things yes and uh, they're a bit afraid of taking risks even though I don't understand what the risk is about programming female composers just doesn't make any sense to me yeah but they do perceive it as the risk and then on the other end, there's uh, organisations who kind of complete it as a checkbox exercise. And I have unfortunately been in the room of major classical organisations with somebody who's got a huge amount of power saying, we have to do this. So this is the programme that we're running to be more diverse and we yeah. have to do this if we want to get Arts Council funding. And yeah. that is the way that they phrase it. And it's like, well, you should be doing it because you should do it. So I think there's a very large disconnect between what we see these organizations doing publicly and actually the time and resources that they're putting into it behind the scenes yeah. and the attitudes towards those projects behind closed doors. Mm. I think the big picture issue there is money is so restricted to the arts the organizations do feel like their backs are up against a wall Mm. and that they have to pander to you know rich audiences with what they think is going to be popular Mm. based on history what has history told us is going to sell tickets yes and not really wanting to be the organization that takes a risk yeah um so you've talked a bit about the role of organizations there um how have you found ways to advocate for change in your in your own work I mean if we dial right right mm-hmm. into the the opposite end of the spectrum if you like with the yeah the power of a single artist 
using whatever platform you have to shout about things yeah um and i think you'd be surprised at the level of influence one person can have especially Mm. now like with social media and organizations being publicly accountable well you know to an extent um i think yeah just i just use whatever opportunity i have to call out problems where I see them yeah and then just in any project that I take part in I raise you know issues of equality and if I'm asked to take part in a gig and I'm the only female performer which happens a lot and sometimes it's difficult in this industry because a lot of the times it's people your friends yeah. with that you have personal relationships with who ask you to do that and um you have to say why am I out of six performers yeah. in center center of London how am I the only woman yeah that you found and um it really only takes bringing it up once or twice with a lot of people, especially men, maybe they just haven't thought, thought yeah. about it really, or they've never been called out on it before. So has your experience been that their mindset has changed or that you've then witnessed a, a shift in the way that they're booking artists? Or yeah, working I, with th- artists? I, I have seen friends, especially that I've said, you, you have you noticed ah, the yes. lack of diversity in artists that you put on? And they have now, yeah, shifted more towards it. And oftentimes they've just said, I never thought about it like that before. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations like that. And I think it doesn't always have to be publicly. You can just yes. reach out to someone on an individual level. And sometimes what I'll suggest is just adding performers, um, you know, making a solo, a duo and, and bringing in a different artist. Mm. Well, that's that is encouraging that you're that you're witnessing some change as a result of those conversations. Yeah, I think it's it's hard though, isn't it? Because yeah, you don't really want them to be doing it just because they don't want to get in trouble. You, they should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's just how do we? It's the reprogramming of people's minds um, to make it normal. And I think it is even in the past couple of years, we can see like programs that are 50-50 gender split. And before that would have been kind of abnormal. It would have been yeah. really rare. Yeah. And the organization probably would have been shouting about <laughs> their representation. And now it's, I feel like it's becoming more standard yeah. and it's not particular I, I yeah that might be quite naive of me to say that there are still rampant issues and I think we've addressed gender in this way but are nowhere near close on addressing race yes in that way or ableism either yeah. so we've still got an incredibly long way to go yeah I would say that my approach is, is having conversations with people directly mm. and if you can talk to the right people and make enough noise um, and I am very much okay with making noise in, in all senses. Uh, you, you talk about making noise. Um, to circle back to the, the sort of noise that you make with your turntable, 
Um, I know a lot of your music explores the delicate relationship between space and silence and architecture and sound. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I'm so excited. Firstly, I'm just, I'm excited to go to another place and make music. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm excited to make music in not my flat. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think I'm just a massive architecture nerd. Mm-hmm. And I use it in any way that I can to inspire my music. And that actually tends to mostly be for my composed works. Um, I just did a really a kind of a, an interesting workshop score for Heather Roach mm. based on the Barbican building um, using a, an architectural drawing as a score. In terms of using space in a piece, it sounds like quite a big and and difficult thing to do, but a lot of the time it's just about positioning a performer in a specific place and letting the room kind of talk back Mm. to the sounds that are made within it with echoes or creaks or sounds coming from the outside. Yeah, so... Yeah, on next Friday when I'm doing this with a turntable, I'm thinking very much about the material that I use. So I think I've identified, I, I only ever take two or three records uh, and that's that will be the material that I use. I really like to limit myself. Yeah, And the, each gig is, di- is different, but um, I like to come in with some kind of thematic idea based on the material that I bring. And I'm thinking about this one particular record I've not ever used before because I've never found the right gig for it. And I think this is it. I think <laughs> this this venue is really begging for this record. Also, particularly for the, the format of video online that we're doing, I'm mm. thinking about, yeah, really taking the focus off me as a performer and using this record and letting it speak to the chapel. But, that, but that's just one record. I still have to figure out the other record that I'm going to bring. And it will either complement it in mm. some way or it's going to be completely the opposite. Uh, yeah, but I'm so looking forward to hearing. Um, I don't know what it's going to sound like and I'm going to have to respond to that in the moment and see what happens. But it's going to be hopefully a wonderful reflection of the architecture and the history of that room. Megan that sounds wonderful I can't wait to hear your set and for listeners that want to check out Megan's set uh, it will be on Friday the 23rd of April. Megan thank you so much for talking with me today it's been a real pleasure to hear your thoughts and learn a bit more about what it is that you do and what you're up to at the moment so thank you for taking the time well thank you for yeah thank you for talking to me and letting me ramble slightly (laughs) about all my thoughts (laughs) no we love your ramblings that's great (laughs) thank you Megan